fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, behind the yellow building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices, every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Welcome to episode 748 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. What's up, what's up? The thermometer. The thermometer. We had a bit of rain today. That was weird. Yeah, sort of. It's uh, the the weather's been weird. Like, it's been stupid all weekend. Well, we had rain what, like f- Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yep. And it didn't get above like I don't know thirteen degrees or something. Well, <laughs> it's nuts up there. Because <laughs> Bob's like he's like, uh, isn't it summer? I'm like, well, it's almost summer. He's like, why is it so cold? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and then it went Sunday. It went, hey, look, thirty nine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but the nights have still been like single digits. Oh, okay, so it's Sweet. yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre at the moment. I usually have my AC on all night at the moment. It's too hot, and stuffy all the time. It's... But we had um, last three or four weeks. They've been saying it's going to be pouring down for two weeks nonstop. We're going to have flooding. It's going to be this and that. Or you're going to have a giant storm that's going to blow everything down with large hail. And we get like 20 minutes of a little bit of rain and then nothing for another week. Mm. And it's back up in the late 20s, early 30s in the day. I mean, we had those three days, we had a heap of rain. I don't know what we had, 100 plus mil. Wow. We had a lot of water. Um, but it, And then the problem is when it stopped raining, it, the humidity was just insane. It's just, you'd walk down the hall, because we've got timber floors, yep. and you'd walk down the hall, and it was just wet under your feet. Like, Ugh, just, gross. Oh, it was so bad. So that's like, I have to air, wear shoes in my damn house. It's like, right, that's it, aircon's going on. <laughs> Try it all out again. The problem is with that, you turn the aircon on, you, you don't want to go outside. Yeah. You just want to stay inside at that point. It's like, <laughs> I've got stuff to do, but I don't want to go out there, it's feral. Don't go out there. The um, resolution's great, but it's pretty boring apart yes, from that. The, the resolution's great, but the storyline's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Those I NPCs, mean, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just want to pow right in the kisser. Uh, Been working on my VZ game still, coming along. Yeah. Going to be a clone of Centipede. So far, I've got all the mushrooms doing what they should do. The scorpion goes across the screen, poisons them, and if the uh, centipede hits them, it heads down to the bottom of the screen after you. Um, Got the flea that'll come down if you've got 
very few mushrooms in the player area. So he puts down some more. And then I've just started today on the spider, getting him to bounce up and down across the screen. He's a bit easier than the scorpion because there's no sprites to speak of on the VZ. So everything is destructible when you're drawing on it. So when the scorpion moves and changes a mushroom to a poison one, changes the color, it has to put it back in the same spot and then tell the uh, memory I've set aside that there's a mushroom that's poisoned in that spot. But the spider is great. He just goes around, wipes out the mushrooms. So he deletes everything behind him and there's no problems. <laughs> cool. Because you're working on a randomizer for that as well, weren't you? Yeah. I had a lot of trouble trying to get a really good working randomized script in assembly to work. I must have had like a dozen different versions that I've gone through of ideas and it's like it works but then there's some that were uh, not hitting low numbers some would only hit numbers in the middle some would do a few low numbers and mostly the high numbers and stuff like this so I eventually um, got it going and then it was doing mostly odd numbers and skipping the even ones so I threw in an increment every now and then so it would add one randomly see if that seemed to help a lot but I might even uh, write a little tune because uh, the guys who made the Turbo Rascal Syntax Zero software I'm using to program it uh, wrote a, um, a music sequencer so there's very 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 few games on the visa that have any music in it i tried to copy the little arkanoids starting game music from the commodore 64 when i did an arkanoid clone called arkaball which as i put in my online diary it wasn't too bad for a tone deaf programmer <laughs> you sort of get what the idea is and then there was a game called circus which played a couple of bars of my bonnie lies over the ocean that's yeah, about it, very, very, nothing else. They were very hey? limited with their sound chips, weren't they? Yeah, well, the main problem with the VZ is it's got one of those little piezo speakers, which is just basically metal that flexes. And... On a certain frequencies. To make, to make the sound work, the CPU has to toggle two bits on and off yeah. rapidly. So if you wanted to play a game while you're playing the playing music the game wouldn't be playable. It'd be like one frame a second because the CPU is making the sound happen, yeah. but also moving everything on the screen, plus drawing everything. Everything's done by the CPU. It doesn't have any other chips to say, here, you play that kind of note. I'll go do some stuff over here and you tell me when you're ready for the next note kind of thing that you have on the Commodore 64 and the um, Spectrums have got like AY chips and stuff. Yeah, that's what I said. Like everyone said the the... Um, Omega 500 had the best sound chip, but I, don't know, I reckon the Commodore 64s gave a run for their money. Yeah, yeah, it did stuff that it wasn't programmed or designed to oh, in the first place. So <laughs> it absolutely did. People got some amazing performance out of that thing. The thing I like about the limiting of it is when somebody does something that nobody thought was possible or they couldn't do, and your mind is blown. When you got something like an Amiga or a Windows PC that can has literally no limits on anything, yeah. then there's nothing spectacular. I mean, they had some nice demos and stuff on the Amiga and even on the PC, I like some of them. I was even tempted at one stage to get a Gravis Ultrasound 
yeah. sound card because all the demo guys would program with that, and they're like, "This sounds so much better on yep. the Gravis than the uh, only, Sound Blaster." But that's only because the Gus was a MIDI, um, a MIDI card. Yep. But it wasn't any good for digital sound. It played MIDI fo- MIDI perfectly because it was literally a MIDI card. That's what that was its entire purpose in life. It's like the Yamaha bought out a sound card as well, and it was fantastic for midis, but for playing like game music was horrendous. And talking it's, and explosions yeah, and stuff, right. yeah. You know, so it, you know, it's horses for courses. It depends on what you want to do. But yeah, yeah I mean, so, when, when people did stuff beyond the reach of what you expect them to be able to do, you know, that's when it gets really it's cool. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. But you're like, oh, you can do the the... Because they had all the um, raster bar things, effects with the color graduations and stuff like that when there's only 16 colors and blended them together on your CRT with a crappy resolution and stuff. Yeah. Looked really good. And then they do it on the Amiga and it's like, well, it's not that difficult to do on the Amiga. It's not yeah, pushing the limits got, of it. <laughs> you already got 16,000 colors or whatever it was it had. In yeah. The, yeah, that's it. But and yeah. they have things that are spinning around and jumping and looping, but they've got one, two, four mega memory. Hmm. You're not limited to 64 and go, how did they fit all of that into a little 64? Well, and really, it's, like, it's not even 64, is it? Because by the time you load the actual system itself, you're taking up memory as well. Yeah. You can switch out a lot of the basic and other stuff but there's you still don't get the full 64k to play with i don't think no no because i know that in the commodore 64 like it had 64 as well but it it um would unload basic when it loaded the game so you would gain some back in there yeah yeah, yeah and then you could palm some off to the you could palm some off to the sound card and you could palm like the cpu didn't have to do the whole lot so it kind of yeah in that regard it wasn't uh, working as hard, but yeah. But even like when people get, um, you know, it's the whole thing about what can play Doom and what can, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> you're getting stuff to work. And I, I remember when I was watching a demo, I think it was a Commodore 64 of uh, um, uh, as, um, an astronaut game where you literally, like, it's a rocket simulator and you got to, you know, launch the rocket and stuff. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we had to steal memory from the graphics card and we had to steal memory from the sound processor and we had to do all sorts of stuff to we had to slow down you know we half half refreshed the screen and had to do all this stuff just to get you know all these tricks they had to do to make the the game seem to to do with it make the game do what they wanted to do it wouldn't do it in its native state yeah yeah you know they they, they hacked the the hardware effectively at that point <laughs> like the guys with the playstation one to get crash bandicoot yeah, crash, to go yeah crash bandicoot yeah they hacked the hardware to make it do what things it wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. Um, that's... I talked to... Um, there's a, a guy that I watch streaming, Shellen 50 k and we talk about uh, programming all the time because he's always programming games for Commodore 64 while he's streaming. And um, I was like, man, those the demo coders could do something really amazing for a game. And he's like, well, not really because the techniques they use to get them to work at the speeds they do mm. the code is so much larger because you have to you can't have a loop that just goes round and round you have to unroll that out into a much larger code base so it runs fast because when you 
one of the slowest things on the eight bit computers or anything is going in a loop because yeah. you get through then you have to say is this equal to that no then calculate how far back there to go and then jump back there and then go through and decrement and jump back and if you just if you've got like 30 things on the screen you have code for 30 things you don't have one bit of code and say do this over 30 things yeah you have 30 bits of code and it fills up the memory but it runs really amazing and looks really cool but if they try to do a game you wouldn't fit the game in memory because yeah. they're trying to do too much really amazing things and then game programmers wouldn't do demos very easily because the demos require a different mindset again so well it was often a thing with um even you know i know in the late 90s early 2000s that was really a thing a lot of the game demos supposed demos were actually just glorified movies mm. they weren't really game demos at all and on the ones that were playable the the i remember indycar was a classic example of that the graphics on indycar looked absolutely amazing i think it yep. was mirror um mirror i can't remember who it was but when you actually play the game the graphics are horrible yeah, you know, <laughs> because the the demo looked nothing like the game did, and that was a they got, you know, that really killed that game because it was a good, fun, playable game, but the graphics were horrendous in while you're playing it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so I think that's you know a lot of the time too the the line gets blurred between how a game plays and what tricks they do to make it look good on the demo, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. well, that was that um, that world's smallest game, the sixty four k first person shooter, Krieger. Yeah, Krieger. Yeah, it's. I was watching a documentary on how they did all that and come went about it, and yeah, that was really interesting. Like the the they. Like, I wouldn't know how to do procedural programming at all, <laughs> no, but no, even the music was procedurally was generated. Procedurally generated in machine code. Yeah, <laughs> they the wrote textures. The, yeah, it was, it was all done in machine code, like. But what yeah. was amazing was us saying that, you know, they took a four pixel, like the, all the textures for the wallpaper and stuff was stored as like a four pixel image. And it it did whatever, you know. If you haven't played it, it still works on modern computers today. You can download it. It takes a fraction of a second. Um, yeah, you can even see it in Wikipedia. They got a bit of info about it. Yeah, and there's a couple amazing of it is. really good documentaries on YouTube about it. But it's so amazing that a game with so many levels and sound effects and weapons and ammunition and enemies and the graphics, uh, it, it easily runs at, you know, I think I think they locked it at 30 frames a second or something, which was back then, that was, you know, the, the optimum frame rate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just knowing that the game's generating itself as you're playing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's unloading whatever's behind it and it's loading what's coming up in front of it. It's... And inventing it as it goes along. Yeah, I mean, well, not sort of. It, it, it's procedurally generated, but it's procedurally generated the same time, the same way every time. Yeah, like a seed. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's like a seed. Yeah, because every time you play it, even though it's making the making it up on the fly, it's the same time. Every time you play it, it's the same game. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, that blows my mind. That every time, every time I play it and think about it. <laughs> Yeah, so, but if that sort of thing had been around back in the Commodore sixty four and Omega five hundred days, and you just imagine what they could have done with some of the games they had. Yeah, yeah. You know, you think of games like um, Warcraft and um, 
Civilization and, you know, all those ones, the early versions of those. Yeah. How much more amazing they could have been if they had known about how to do that procedural generation stuff. Like, Yeah, yeah. If it's even possible. <laughs> well, especially with the randomization aspect of it. So every yep. time you play a campaign, it's a different campaign. It would have been great. Yeah. I managed to get our uh, Minecraft server upgraded to SSD now, thank goodness. Because um, I bought my daughter years ago a little MIDI mini tower. And it's got cut-down motherboard that's from HP. It's an HP Pavilion. And it's got a Willow 2 motherboard, whatever the heck that is. <laughs> and it's got a slot for M2 NVMe chip drive. So I bought one of those, put it in. It's got, I don't even know that's there. <laughs> and nothing I could do would make it see that, even in the BIOS or anything. So I was like, well... I guess that's not going to work because the BIOS doesn't know how to read them, even though it's got a slot for it. I could update the BIOS, and then I screwed around with that for a few days, which kept crashing my computer, so that was no good. So in the end, I was like, well, it's got a CD-ROM in there that runs off a SATA connector, so I'll just get another SATA SDD drive and bought that from PLE Computers in Melbourne. They sent that up, plugged it in, moved all the stuff for the home directories and everything because it's booting off um, elementary OS, which is a version of Ubuntu. Moved everything in there over to the faster drive, rebooted, and now Minecraft can almost keep up with us. I mean, it's still a gimped computer and with a maximum 16 gigs of RAM you can install in it. I think too, and I think the bus speeds on it are quite slow, so I think the SSD is potentially faster than it's running in that system. I think its bottleneck is is the... just the throughput of what the system can handle. Yeah. But it's still a, an improvement over a spinning disk. It was, yeah. Yep. And with so the price of SSDs these days, I mean... Yeah, it still know. boots off the spinning disk, but then it doesn't really touch that much except for swap drive if it needs to, and the rest of it's all done on the SSD, which is fast enough, loading and generating chunks and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, i got a few of those, the Intel, the NUX, the N700 NUX, yep. which are, you know, two gig... Um, two gig quad core, you know, processors. Nothing super amazing, but for media centers and for basic, um, little basic workhorses, they're perfectly fine. Yep. You know, they've only got four gig of RAM and whatever, but they've got the one of the, the, um, the little MV drives, whatever they are. Yep. Uh, but they're really slow. They're the old style, like, um, EPC, the yep. dog slow ones. And they're all right. They're you know sixteen gig or something, and they do the job. But I noticed for the sake of twenty five bucks, you can get a, you know, like a forty gig SSD. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I've just bought a few of those recently and put them in the place, and it's made them. It like, I mean, same thing. The bottleneck's still in the the bandwidth that that can it can transmit, but it's still faster than yeah what the little internal drive was. Yeah. And um such a cheap upgrade, I mean, why not, you know? Might as well do it. Yeah. So speaking of upgrades, my NAS decided to tell me that one of the drives has completely died. Lucky it's all mirrored and everything across two two terabyte drives, but I just ordered one of those from PLE tonight, so that should come next week, and I'll have to take out the old drive that's in there and throw it out and get the new one in there and get it copying everything back across again, so... Mm. PLEs get a lot of my money. Was, yeah. I just bought a new computer from them a couple of months ago, 
which was going to be our Minecraft server, but then we decided to use it for a spare room PC for visitors. So we're like, well, I can buy another another one for like eight hundred dollars again, or I could just put a faster drive in this one, and it'll do for now. And yeah, I got. It reminded me when he was telling me that earlier. I'm like, oh, that's right. I got to do mine too. Mine have been like three or four years on the same drive, so yep. due to change mine out as well. And then I was reading earlier that Western Digital have just released an 80 gig um, SSD, oh, okay. 80, um, 80 terabyte SSD. Nice. So <laughs> I don't know how much that's going to cost, but <laughs> that's a pretty serious drive. I mean, I'm I'm running. Yeah, I think I'm running two terabytes in my NAS, and it's only like fifty percent. I should probably do what you suggested and ring up PLE tomorrow and say, "Can you chuck in two drives?" Yeah, send me two so I can yeah, upgrade, plug one in, let it rebuild that, and then swap it back over and rebuild the other yep. one, and just keep the uh, that one for you know, and a backup. So drive next time I don't have to wait five days for delivery over the weekend and stuff because I just go down there and there it is. That's it. <laughs> Oh uh, well, hopefully the other one that's got everything on it will last until I get another drive in there. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's always scary though when they're both the same age and they're both the same drive and they both have the same workload. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> One's gone. When's the other one going? It's like batteries. I get a lot of people going, "Oh, can I?" Just, uh, you know, like people come with trucks and and mobility scooters, and they're like, "Oh, one of my batteries has failed." And you're like, "Well, you might as well change both. There's no point changing one." They're both, the same, they're both the same brand, they're both the same age, they've both done the same amount of work, one's died, the other one's going to follow it pretty quickly, and if you just put a new one in, it's just stressing out the old one even more, so just yep. put two new ones in and be done with it. Well, you pushed your scooter here today, do you want to push <laughs> it again next week when you come back for the other battery, exactly. or should we do it all now? That's right. <laughs> should we do some news? Alrighty. Apple this morning surprised the world with an unexpected self-service repair program, which is designed to allow customers access to genuine Apple parts, tools, and manuals for making their own device repairs. Giving customers this kind of unprecedented access to repair guidelines and hardware is a major win for right to repair advocates, and we're starting to hear from repair outlets pleased with Apple's decision. Well-known device repair and teardown site iFixit says its team is excited about the news and hopeful Apple will be providing customers with the same information it gives to Apple authorized service providers. iFixit points out that Apple's decision invalidates many of the arguments that it's been making against the right to repair movement for years because Apple is acknowledging that repairs can be done without harm to consumers or their devices. Apple has previously argued that customers could injure themselves by accidentally puncturing a battery during a device repair, which apparently is no longer a concern. We're thrilled to see Apple admit that what we've always known, everyone's enough of a genius to fix an iPhone, says iFixit's cover of the announcement. Unless you're genius bar, then you're not. Then you're not. <laughs> Kyle Wayans, iFixit founder and CEO, said on Twitter the Apple's decision makes marks a total shift in perspective, and there's hope that this is a step forward, making devices last longer. While this is a major step forward, iFixit points out that there are a number of unknowns and caveats. It's unlikely that Apple is going to allow customers to use hey, parts that are sourced yeah. from somewhere other than the online store Apple is building, and the readily available official parts could see Apple further lock down iPhone components through serialization, restricting the use of third-party parts or parts salvaged from other phones. 
Other repair advocates agree that Apple's move is a win for right to repair, but there's more to be done. iFixit schedules keep fighting for laws that will keep Apple and other manufacturers honest, while the Right to Repair Coalition, which represents several repair shops and trade groups, said this is far off from the requirements of right to repair, but shows legislators are on the right track if Apple has been spooked into allowing customer repairs. Yeah, exactly. It's not really right to repair because they're not really technically allowing it for third-party repairers. They're mm. technically allowing it for owner-operators. Um, so it's kind of still a grey area. But um, if you want to find out like a lot of in-depth stuff to this, go and look up uh, Lewis Rossman on YouTube. He's an Apple repairer. Uh, and he's been doing it for a lot of years, um, regardless of what Apple says. He's, he's just been doing it for a lot of years, and he's on the ball. He's got a lot of a lot of videos up about this. Um, and his last one's like he's like yeah, but part of it is they're running scared a bit because there's been I think it was Brazil and um, oh, I can't remember. There's been three or four lawsuits against Apple from. Like all the repairers in the in the towns have all got together and put a lawsuit against Apple, saying that they're costing them business and they're you know they're full of it and stuff. And Apple hasn't been able to rebut any of this stuff, and it's costing them a lot of money. So part of this whole open it up thing is to stop that from happening. Uh. Um, but they've kind of still dropped the ball on it the way they've done it. Yep. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 quite a complicated thing, and it's not just Apple like um, John Deere in the last couple of years has been a big advocate of of don't touch, you know? Yeah. A lot of the stuff, like farmers work on their machines and they're broken down the field, they get it fixed because it costs them money to not have a running machine. Yeah. Apple literally has everything on tamper sensors and if, um, Apple, John Deere has everything on tamper sensors and if you touch any component on that tractor, it voids the warranty and they won't send a service tech out to fix it. Yeah, weren't they the you ones know? who just had big strikes from all their staff because they were going to screw them over? And yeah. they just finally had a big win today that the staff are going to get all the benefits they're supposed to, plus proper raises and retirement money and stuff. Yeah, bonuses. John John Deere's been um, been they. I don't know the full backstory to. Apparently, they got bought out by somebody else or semi bought by somebody else, and everything went to shit and. That's what usually happens. You have something that works really well. Yeah. Everybody loves it. It's fantastic. And then someone else comes along and goes, I'll give you a ton of money for that thing. And they're like, oh, wow, that sounds good. And then they sell it. And then they're like, let's run it to the ground and make a ton of money off it really quickly before it dies. Kind of like Dick Smith Electronics. Yeah. Well, there was um, uh, in the battery industry, there's a, the battery called Emron, which is a really high-quality battery. Uh, Amaharaja is the guy who started it back in, like, 85 or something. And um, he's just built bulletproof batteries, and they got, like, 90% market share of India. Like, they're just the battery you have in India. And um, another battery company who's quite large, and, and they wanted to buy in as part of it. And he's like, okay, fine, you can buy in. I don't care if you want to help me distribute my battery or whatever, not a problem. Yep. But the deal is you can't touch anything. You can't play with my service. You can't touch the quality of the batteries. You can't tell me how to do anything. You can't change my distribution chain. Like you, The way it is is the way it is. Yep. And if you don't like it, don't buy in. Anyway, they agreed to it. And uh, they bought into it. And then they bought, I don't know, 49% and he kept 51% or something. Yep. Anyway, it was... 
fine for like three or four years. And they started, started changing stuff and implementing stuff. He's like, no. He said, no, I told you not to touch anything. Get out. Here's your here's your $2,500 million or whatever the hell it was that yep. he just pulled out of his back pocket because he's not exactly broke. Yep. And he goes, here, get out. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he said, no, I'm taking my company back, thanks. <laughs> yeah. It was like mm-hmm. I was reading the story of um, Colonel Sanders from KFC mm-hmm. and he's like, once, once he got screwed over and they took over his company they're like now how can we make things cheaper everybody loves this gravy let's take out those ingredients and we'll make a different one with cheaper ingredients charge the same price so we get profit and he goes this tastes like crap and everyone says kfc gravy tastes horrible but when i made it and had the recipe it was the one delicious thing that got people into the shop they're like well it's saving us a lot of money so we're gonna go with that people just like well i just won't get it anymore yeah, it reminds me of the story of how the uh, fish fillet burger came out for McDonald's. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, that was a before McDonald's was a franchise that was kind of a mum and pop sort of store. There was a handful around, but they were kind of, they were both independently owned and franchised at the same time. It's kind of a weird thing they had yeah. going on. Um, they weren't exclusively like McDonald's. They were like McDonald's and Fred's Burgers or something, you know, like they were combination yep. stuff. And one of the guys, I can't remember the, the full story exactly, but one of the guys went, "Oh, we need a cheaper burger for the, you know, for the kids and the the over the weekend or whatever they can come and buy, you know, because a cheeseburger at the time was a dollar or something, and they're like, oh, I want a burger that's like seventy five cents or something." Yep. And so one McDonald's made the fillet of fish, which was like, um, yeah, I don't know what it, what whatever fish he was using, hakey or something, and filleted and crumbed and stuff and that was their fish fillet burger and this other guy goes no nobody wants that i want to have i'm gonna make oh, it was hawaiian burger it, or something it was it? something weird oh, no, pineapple was, burger it was yeah. just like pineapple and cheese it, yeah i think that's what it was yeah something yeah. like that and the guy's like no no one's gonna buy that and he's like well my burger's cheaper so we're gonna go there's like hang on a minute why don't we just put them both on sale for a week and we'll see which one sells more and like the fillet of fish sold like a thousand burgers, and the other one sold like three, and like two yeah. of them were refunded. <laughs> <laughs> and the the other reason he wanted the um, fillet of fish is because on Friday the Catholics wouldn't yeah, eat burgers. That's, oh, that's right. That's what it was for. And the guy yeah. across the road had a fish and chip shop, and he had lines going out and down the road, and he said, "We got to have fish." That's and they're right. like, "No, we're a burger company. We don't do fish." He's like, "Well, we'll try out your fish thing." And this other guy's pineapple burger. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's so weird how, you know... But something like that either defines or destroys a company. Yeah. yeah. You know, can you imagine... Because the guy who wanted the pineapple burger was like CEO or second in command or something. And right. the guy who wanted the fish one was just like, you know, the manager of one of the stores. So, realistically, mm. he could have just gone, no, <laughs> screw you. I would just We're just going to have this burger. And... Yeah. You know, like there'd be no fill of fish burger. Yeah. You know, but it's it's funny how that how that can happen sometimes. Yeah. But it's the same sort of thing with this, you know, like the I think Apple's trying to find that happy meeting, but they're, they're trying to save face to say that okay, look, we've been telling people they can't repair it because they're sealed, but really they actually can, but we don't want repair shops doing it because if we open to repair shops then we have to open our supply chain to repair shops. Yeah. I think that's what their argument is that they, they don't want to have components available and they don't want third-party components in either no and the, yeah, well that's that's the problem they're like so 
I know Lewis, what he does is he buys, at auction, he buys failed devices. Um, and he just stockpiles them because the chances of them all having the same value are, well, except for the notebooks where they all had the same failure. But for the most part, they don't have the same failure mode. They all have different component failures. So you yeah. usually have some spare components by doing that. But that's not technically illegal. He's not technically supposed to be doing that. No, because Apple put in software so that if you did change the screen or anything, it would disable the fingerprint reader. Yeah. Or if you put in a third-party fingerprint reader, they're like, no, that's not an Apple one, but now they're going to have to go back on that as well. I think they've wound that back so you can put in another uh, refurbished fingerprint readers and stuff, screens. I think that I don't understand why. I mean, I don't get it. Okay, I understand you want authorized repairers. But if you're going to have authorized repairs, you have to actually have authorized repairs. You can't just say we want to use authorized repairs and not actually have any. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what Lewis is always saying. He's like, I, I would love to be an authorized repairer, yep. but they won't allow me to be. Like, they don't have that in the, they don't have the facilities to have an authorized repairer. They want everything repaired by authorized personnel, but they don't have any way of facilitating that to actually happen. Maybe they don't have enough money for it. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. But yeah, so it'd be interesting to keep an eye on that and see. I mean, if Apple leads away, then obviously John Deere and Tesla recently is becoming more and more and more open with their stuff. They've um, you can order a lot of spare parts and you can actually order a lot of stuff directly from Tesla now. So um, it really is starting to become a. Uh, you know, not so much aftermarket, but it's starting to become a right of repair. It's starting to become a thing, just by, um, the just by the fact that more people are doing it. There's there's no legislation in place yet, which there may have to be because realistically, if you own a device, you own a device. I get it that the software is constantly updating. Okay, fine. I don't own the software. I own I effectively renting the software. Fine, but I own the device. Mm. You can't tell me what to do with the device. Yeah, you know that's why so. all the jailbreaking was happening, and they would get stuck into people for that. Yeah, you know, back in the day, you remember when people used to have that back in the day? Agent, uh, clock, Clockwork Orange, or Agent Orange, or something Orange. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Clockwork. What was it? Orange. I don't know what it was. It was the Android one? Cyanogen mod. So, well, that was the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you could sideload stuff that wasn't technically supported well, you still can on android although apple apparently it's going to destroy their infrastructure <laughs> for the 12 people that want to use it yeah it's going to be a big problem yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know but um speaking of big problems meta well facebook did you well, where'd you meet her <laughs> met her down the road met her at the pub um, is like they can't. I think they're supposed to be changing their name to Meta, but I haven't seen any proof of that. It's just all still Facebook, so I don't know. But apparently, Meta showcases prototype haptic gloves to feel things in AR. So we've had the AR, VR, ultra reality, virtual reality. We've had the goggles and the and the, the that side of it for a while. The chest. And then they had the, well, even back in the day when I had a uh, Sega, um, uh, I want to say it was Dreamcast, but it may have been the Master System. But either way, it had a uh, 
vest you could haptic wear. Haptic vest, yeah. And it had basically subwoofers without the cones in them. And when you'd punch and whatever in Street Fighter, you'd get smacked in the chest from these subwoofer <laughs> things. But yeah, so we had the, the goggles and then we got the, you know, kind of a very primitive haptic jacket. And then they con- they got the Omni tread- treadmill things, a legit thing now. Yep. Now they're working on haptic feedback gloves. So all we need is the full haptic suit that they got in uh, Ready Player One and we're good to go. <laughs> but um, on Tuesday, they showcased a prototype haptic glove designed for ARVR that's been developed over the past seven years. The prototype is essentially a glove that can reproduce a range of sensations in virtual worlds, including textures, pressure, and vibration. Uh, all work put into the tech has so far been conducted at Meta's Reality Labs Division. Um, they hope that the one day they can lessen the gap between the real world and the virtual world. Use their hands to communicate with others and learn about the world and to take action within it. We can take advantage of a lifetime and motor learning if we can bring full hand pressure into AR and VR. People can touch, feel and manipulate virtual objects just like real objects or without having to learn a new way of interacting with the world. Uh, the way it works, it's lined with an inflatable plastic... Inflatable, it's lined with an inflatable... It's lined with an inflatable... <laughs> then plastic and then tiny motors <laughs> so I'm going to assume it's in line, line with an inflatable plastic and then tiny motors called actuators uh, placed all over the glove and move in response to certain actions being made um, anybody who's ever watched read uh, Neil Stevenson's uh, Diamond Age yep. they use these a lot when they're developing their nanotech stuff they uh, wear the goggles and they go in and they literally can manipulate atoms at an atomic level and nice. make them fit into place and stuff. So it's not a new concept, but it's new to... Uh, there's been... He, he had all the ideas, didn't he, really? Oh, didn't he, what? It's amazing. He invented the future. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, doctors have been using something similar for quite a few years with the, like the robots that do the, the operations. The controls they use have got a lot of visceral touch like you can you can you get a lot of feedback through the controls and playing vr that's one of the biggest problems okay fine you might be able to physically reach and grab something but you don't have that sensation of of what you're grabbing and it's just you're just grabbing air you don't you're not grabbing something you know yep. so you watch people when they're holding guns and stuff they're just sort of like flailing around with their hands because the hands aren't physically attached to this thing so um no, it'll be good. It'll be a lot of fun. I mean, it, it, it no doubt will have real-world uses as well, um, especially with the quality and of some of the VR headsets and stuff now. Um, they're just absolutely ludicrously <laughs> fantastic. Some of the... What some of them can do is insane. Yeah. Um, but I can, I can imagine a situation where these would be like... Even something... Sounds dumb, but... Remember years ago there was you had cats and dogs program where you had a virtual dog or a virtual cat and you you know you raised it and played with it and petted it. Even something as simple as yeah, well that was prior to that yeah, but even something as simple as that like you go into your VR and you go into your I don't know you go into your room you got a I'm assuming you got a house in your VR and you've got a dog and the dog comes over and you actually literally like pat the dog and you know and you can feel it. So I can imagine you know. It's definitely going to be pretty cool, um, but it will have, have a lot the, of uh, the other side to that story. What's that? Haptics company Hapt 
X is a long-time player in the VR AR industry, is now claiming Meta copied its patented designs for the VR glove called by the company Microfluidic Glove. Haptics claims part of Meta's glove appears to be substantially identical to its patented work, which uses pneumatics to simulate physical touch. Yeah, but I don't know. There's is there's is patented, but uh, have they actually started to physically produce it yet? Because um, I have to read some more of the story. I think they've been around for they've been around years. for a long time, and they were one of the ones who did the the treadmill and that. Like they've done some cool stuff. I'm aware of that company. I just didn't think they actually physically had a device yet. Um, at least as of oh, I haven't. I know, like twelve months ago, they didn't because that was when they bought it. Their treadmill and said that was like their shining product. So, yeah, yeah. whether or not they they have now, I'm not sure. But uh, I mean, <laughs> and having said that, it would no way surprise me if Facebook screws over yet another small company. I mean, it's not like them to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, either way, I mean. Whoever brings it out first, but it, it just goes to prove that it's sort of getting to a point where technology's able to catch up with twenty-five-year-old visions, you know. <laughs> so, federal labor has pledged to fund an NBN service for thirty thousand families currently without a home internet connection for a year, while a longer-term strategy is created. The party's second NBN-related pre-election announcement sought to address an issue that has been present in NBN and regulatory circles for some time, the issue of broadband affordability and universal access. Labor leader Anthony Albanese said that the party, if elected in 2022, would offer some 30,000 families with no internet at home support for a 12-month period. Then during that period, we'll undertake further work and consultation about how we can make sure no child is left behind going forward. Federal Communications Minister Michelle Rowland said that 30,000 families would be sourced by examining data from state education departments, mirroring a scheme run by NBN Code during the onset of the pandemic last year. The families would ultimately be assessed for eligibility by NBN Co, which would then engage with retail service provider and enable that one point connection for the affected family to ensure they receive their internet. Acknowledged the effort of NBN Co during the early stage of the pandemic, but said the scheme experienced a relatively low uptake in that instance. I think it's a great opportunity to build on that, and we should get a more clearer idea about how many families are affected today. Wallen said the COVID had exposed the depth of a digital divide in Australia, citing stories of people needing to park outside free wireless areas just to download the school structure for the day so their children could do remote learning. It's simply not good enough. So our proposal here today is to provide access to those families to the internet via the NBN. Right. And if it had been done right in the first place, we wouldn't be in this mess. Yeah. So let's just see what happens after the election, shall we? Yes. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of promises <laughs> and stuff coming out right now. Yeah, absolutely. Got another one coming up after yours. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it's going to be, you know... Uh, and. Uh, Will it ever happen? We don't know if anything's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Computer so, says no. <laughs> pretty much. Oh, dear. Um, so does the Magic 8-Ball. Hey? Outlook, Magic 8-Ball. Outlook, not so good. Next time I'm going to ask it about Word. <laughs> yeah, because that's been so successful lately as well. <laughs> It's going to know the answer to that. 
So I'm just um I've accidentally bumped. I had a friend who said that the magic eight ball could tell the future. He drank the blue liquid out of it and said he was gonna die and he did. Yeah, I mean it's not wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we have it's that time of year again where they've released the uh common passwords for the year. Is that one of them? So yeah, yeah. Ten points to whoever knows where that screenshot's from. It's yep. a movie I'm going to be watching later. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, an analysis of uh, password habits worldwide has revealed that we're still performing poorly when it comes to cre- credential management. Whilst the idea of using passwords such as QWERTY, 123456 and password might seem like a joke these days, they're still commonly found in data dumps of style and credential publish. Pop quiz, what's the four most commonly used passwords? Well, at least in 1989 or whenever. When was that? 95. 95, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Love, God, Sex, and... Password. Wasn't it? I can't remember that quote now. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Pretty sure it was. Anyway, um, major online service providers now often enforce strong passwords with lowercase and capital letters. Numbers and special characters may also encourage and enforce multiple fact and multi-factor authentication. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. Can I have a twenty-seven-digit password with eight special characters, three numbers, twelve characters, and seven of those have got to be uppercase? And and you can't have sequential numbers or sequential letters, and and you can't use your. It's just like stop it, it does get to a point where it just becomes redundant um, now as i so meticulously pointed out the four most used passwords are love sex secret and oh god, god. yeah duh. yeah the one that's right there <laughs> and you'll put it there for a reason so would you holy this kid to change your password <laughs> that's it yeah um, businesses may not impose the same standards. So on Wednesday, uh, NordPass published an annual study of passwords across 50 countries uh, as an evaluation of a database containing four terabytes of leaked passwords, many of which originated from the US, Canada, Russia, Australia, and Europe. According to the researchers, the most common passwords in 2021 are number one, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> number two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, number three is one two three four five. <laughs> Sounds like my password on my luggage. Yeah. Number four is QWERTY. Number five is password. And these are all in lowercase, mind you. They haven't even bothered to put like a capital P in front of it. Or a zero for the <laughs> yeah, O with no. password. Number six is one two three four five six seven eight. <coughs> number seven is one 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 one. Eight is one two three one two three. Nine is one two three four five six seven eight nine zero, and ten is one two three four five six seven. Among the findings, researchers also found that a stunning number of people like to use their own names as a password. Uh, Charlie appeared as the ninth most popular password in the UK in twenty twenty one. One Direction was a popular music related password, and number uh, of times Liverpool appeared could be indicated how popular football team was. What about Arsenal? <laughs> Although in Canada, hockey was unsurprisingly the top sports-related password. <laughs> Swear words are also very commonly employed, and when it comes to animal themes, dolphin was the most common choice internationally. Yeah. Aside from variations of numbers of PC keyboards and some lists, other local password options made the top ten, including the surname um, Shregan in South Africa, 
the city Barcelona in Spain and the name Tiffany in France. <laughs> like, I mean, come on. <laughs> At least put get some effort bit in. Warden. People get Bitwarden. It's free. It uh, creates passwords. It stores passwards. So if we go down the list here a bit and have a quick look. Number 12 was 0000. zero, 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 zero. That's my luggage. <laughs> Number 13, at least starting at a little bit original. 1Q2W3E. <laughs> so starting to get a little bit of... Uh, 15 was ABC123. 16 is password. <laughs> with a 1 at the end. Uh, little trick <laughs> uh, Should have made an explanation mark, man. Good old QWERTY op. Was yep. 18th? <laughs> That's just like... What about ASDF, ASDF? They run the finger across the top of the keyboard. <laughs> LKJH, LKJH. <laughs> I Love You is 22nd. Oh, 666, 666 is 24. <laughs> uh, let's see. All sevens is 30. Uh, what else is interesting That's here? lucky. ZXCVBNM. Yep. 33. ASD, ASDs, 35. Ah. Uh, they forgot the F. Monkey, 41. <laughs> it's the only word in the top 40. Or top, uh. Yeah, it's 41. It's the only actual word. <laughs> Except for a password. Um, let's see, what else we got? ASDF is, uh, yeah, AFDSGHJKL. It's 45. No one will guess that. <laughs> MySpace, 54. What? <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's 54th. News.com.au bought it out <laughs> and then it died and then they're like, Tom's like, thank you very much. <laughs> football, 68. Princess, uh, football, 60. Princess is 61. Sunshine, 65. Michael, 66. Computer, 67. <coughs> So, I'm just going to go to the top 100 and just see. Killers, 79. Samsung, 78. <laughs> Superman, 81. Uh, Master. Superman fall down so far. Ashley. Baseball's, 91. Qwerty's, 94. That's surprising. Yeah. Soccer's, 95. Charlie's, 96. Do they have Loki? Tinky. Tinkle, 98. Somebody must have Loki. Jessica. Um... Marvel. Jordan's 118. Pokemon's 111. Thomas. Love. There we go. 117th. <laughs> <laughs> it's fallen out of fashion. Nobody <laughs> loves anymore. Uh, so, yeah. So, you can go to uh, nordpass.com slash most common passwords. <coughs> and it'll bring up a list of what's there. It's um, How's that a thing? Apparently, QQQQ2 is like 150. Oh. Enough people use it, though. And <laughs> top 200, number 200, XXX. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Found your password in the list? Generate a strong password and change it. <laughs> <laughs> so, password leak per capita. Um, Australia, Canada, and Russia have the highest password leaks per capita. Yep. So, that's... Shh, don't tell anyone. So, Australia's... 85 million passwords have been leaked, which is approximately three passwords per person. Yeah. Canada's five passwords per person. Russia's 19 passwords per person. <coughs> so they're mixing it up. They're just mixing it up wrong. 
Yeah. So yes. So yeah. So you know, it's um. Be stupid. (laughs) Although apparently, uh, admittedly, with the amount of password leaks there's been this year, I don't think it really matters to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) You need. Have I been pwned? Yeah. Exactly. Australia will spend $111 million to develop quantum technology. Prime Minister is going uh, to say on Wednesday, <laughs> as Canberra identifies nine areas of technology it believes critical for national interests. Quantum technology, based on core principles of physics, is still in its infancy, but has become a darling of investors aspiring to revolutionise industries from healthcare and finance to artificial intelligence and weather forecasting. In recent months, Australia has promised spending of billions of dollars to modernise its economy and cut dependence on China by spurring manufacturing in industries such as resources and critical minerals, as well as backing for development of low emission technology. The first of the nine areas is quantum technology, with a bulk of the promised $100 million going to be commercialised Australia's quantum research and forging links with global markets and supply chains. Quantum science and technology has the potential to revolutionise a whole range of industries, he says. He will give examples such as communications, energy, agriculture, manufacturing, transport and mining. Other areas of technology Australia sees as critical include advanced cybersecurity, which might help with password (laughs) links. Communications, mineral exaction, extraction, I think, not exaction. Autonomous vehicles and novel antibiotics. I'm glad you got that publisher this week. Uh, it's usually you. But he also warned of the ethical implications of such new developments. We need to be asking ourselves what should be done with the technology, not just what can be done. So there's another um, election year promise. Yeah, exactly. When are we <clears throat> going to be the Silicon Valley of the world? In Australia or something, and Sydney was going to have it, and Brisbane was going to have it, and Melbourne. In just out of Brisbane, they built a massive technology park, mm-hmm. <coughs> and now it was supposed to be the home of startups and and there's one near Redfin you know, as well. And now it's just like full of like you know squatters, yeah, and <laughs> warehouses for two dollar shops and yeah. So yeah, we'll see. That's I how mean, it always goes. Uh, in reality, $100 million on quantum computing is nothing. You, you couldn't yeah. even set one up for that. You couldn't even... Not that one. Let, yeah, well, mind you, that looks more like a brewing station, but, you know, <laughs> which I'd be fine with either way. It can be two things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, part of its byproduct is beer. I mean... Hooray! <laughs> solve one Where problem. do I buy these computers? <laughs> mm, Tamaki. Um, so, tomaco. Tomaco, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. But another one of those election promises is that they've he's just pulling them all out now because he's been a bad boy for the last three years. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Speaking of bad boys, Quentin Tarantino, (gasps) the original bad boy. Um, so basically, um, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, his attorney has responded to a lawsuit filed Tuesday accusing the director of copyright infringement by selling NFTs based on the screenplay for Pulp Fiction. Miramax is wrong. Plain and simple, Tarantino's attorney Brian Friedman said in a statement. 
<clears throat> Quentin Tarantino's contract is clear. He has the right to sell NFTs of his handwritten scripts for Pulp Fiction and his ham-fisted attempt to prevent that. And this ham-fisted attempt to prevent him from doing so will fail. But Miramax's callous decision to disclose confidential information about its filmmakers' contracts and compensation will irreparably tarnish the reputation long after this case is dismissed. Tarantino announced a sale at a recent crypto art convention in New York. <clears throat> the plan to auction NFTs, non-fungible tokens, based on excerpts from Tarantino's original handwritten scripts for the film. Accompanied by a commentary, the NFT's pitch is secret, meaning that its contents uh, will be viewable exclusively by the owner. <clears throat> but according to the suit, Tarantino did not consult beforehand with Miramax, which still owns the rights to the director's 94 classic Miramax attorneys, have sent a cease and desist letter seeking to block the sale, but that has not stopped Tarantino and his team from moving forwards. Miramax alleges that Tarantino's actions have interfered with the studio's own plan to enter the market of Pulp Fiction. F yeah, because I'm sure they were planning on doing that. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Miramax we were, were going to do that Because Miramax first. is on the forefront of NFTs. They've released so many already. They've released... Um, uh, I mean, they, they, oh. they might have... I mean, well... No, wait. <laughs> in a statement, Miramax attorneys, um, Bart Williams, <laughs> Bart, accused Tarantino's Don't. team of deliberate, premeditated, short-term money grab. <sighs> Sounds they awfully wanted to like be something... The one. <laughs> they wanted to do that. <laughs> Son of a bitch, penis at the post. The group chose to... The group chose to recklessly, greedily, and intentionally... Disregard the agreement that Quinton signed instead of following the clear, legal, and ethical approach of s simplicity, communication, sim simplicity communicating? Just simply communicating with Miramax about his proposed ideas. The one-off effort devalues the NFT rights to Pulp Fiction, which Miramax intends to maximize through a strategic, comprehensive approach. Are they once we figure out, it? once we figure out what they actually are, yep. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't put that bit in, but I'm sure that was the next sentence that followed that. It's, it's <clears> interesting. <throat> people who are saying stuff like NFTs are—they don't exist. They're not a thing. But it's like you can compare fungible token. A fungible thing would be something you can carry, like ten dollar note, two dollar yeah. coin. Non-fungible tokens is. is your credit card is a non-fungible token, effectively, because it's something that has value that doesn't really exist. But we agree that this bit of plastic gives you access to something that's got the money that yeah. is somewhere in the cloud that the bank says that you have. That's non-fungible as well. So you just well, people are like, oh, non-fungible. No, it's rubbish. People just talk rubbish. Te technically, cash is non-fungible because it's not a backed system. Yeah. It's just an agreed upon value. But at least it's something you can hold, and that's what people are saying. Yeah. Fungible stuff you can hold. These non-fungible stuff is just imaginary, doesn't exist. I'm like, well, most money is like that now. But I mean it's all on the computer. Most like when I when we start when we bought the business and we signed all our contracts and agreements, they're technically non fungible because none of them exist in the real world. They're all just a signed copy on a computer that we emailed backwards and forwards between the lawyers and the surveyors and the, you know, like, yeah. they're not a real thing, no. but they have the value of the business attached to them. Yeah. So, it, you know, but, um, 
So it, it, it does raise an interesting questions. So Miramax basically says that NF, um, uh, Miramax basically says that we own the movie, you can't do it. And he's like, yes, but I own the rights to the handwritten script that we never... Like, the movie didn't come from that script. It came from a different script, and this is the one I'm selling because this is... We didn't use this script. Like, I own this. You never bought it. You yeah. only bought the rights to the script that we made the movie of. Yeah, the final copy. You know, so... Um, it does kind of... It is entering, uh, I guess, an area that we've never really had to think about before because traditionally, like, scripts get auctioned off all the time. Yeah. So I don't really understand what the difference is. It's not unusual to see handwritten scripts and unreleased copies and uh, stuff the like that. The difference is Miramax know? thinks they should have their finger in the pie and they don't and they're very upset about that. But that becomes their problem. I mean, they still yeah. can, they can still NFT the movie... Like the, anything that they they paid for, any part of that movie, any any of the sets, any of the Steel props, shops. any of the screen grabs, any of the original cutting room floor film, they can do whatever they want with that, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's what his lawyer's saying is, I was like, well, they, they got they got the the bull by the nuts, you know. Like, yep. it's not achieving anything, and it's just annoying everyone. So, but it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of plays out in the future. Um, yeah, that'll be written in contracts in the future now. Well, there was... Where I reserve the right to the... Yeah. Like with um, George Lucas, when he sold Star Wars, he's like, I don't want any of the money from the tickets. I'll just take the merchandising things. Yeah. This will be the same sort of thing. So they're like, oh, yeah, you have the merchandising. That's fine. And yeah. they went, ka-ching. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think there was... Um, I, I don't know who... I want to say it was um, Ryan Reynolds in his hmm, in his latest movie. I think I can't I can't remember exactly, but somebody was talking about that because their movie is mostly computer generated, and the, the vast majority of stuff in the movie doesn't actually exist. It's not like actors and oh, the free guy one, yeah. Got another one just coming out. <clears throat> oh, that's right, yeah. It's not like actors and stuff really take stuff home and it's not like, you know, traditional movies. They take where, the green screen. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and he's like, so they're in their contract, they've actually got, um, they were talking about like this exact thing. They're talking about more like crypto, but I guess the principle's the same. Yep. They're like, if, some, if, if the movie house sets up a free guy... You know, crypto, for example. D- does that mean that we're all entitled to it, given that you know we created the movie, or you know, like it, it's an area that yeah, you know, it's like be grey for a while till somebody takes it to court. And it was like back in back in the days of Star Trek when the original Star Trek came out. Every time it plays, the studio gets um, paid, yeah. but the actors don't get royalties because that was back in the day before the there was a carry-on effect before it was written into contracts that actors would get royalties from replays. Yeah, the same with Skippy the Bush Kangaroo in Australia. Mm. They didn't have contracts that had syndication <sighs> in it, and they t- one of the guys took them to court and said, this is me acting, and my contract says I get paid. They said, yeah, but there's nothing in the contract that mentions the word syndication. Yeah. Like, well, 
that wasn't a thing when we filmed it. It didn't exist. Yeah. Well, it does now, and it's not in the contract, so therefore you get nothing. That's right. And that's it does take events like this to trigger those sort of thought processes. <clears throat> um, I know there was a movie, and I can't remember. I can never remember the name of it because I've never watched it because I refuse to watch it. It came out a few years ago. Uh, it was a war movie. Yep. It was directed by a female, by a woman. And I can't for the life of me think what the movie was. But they, they, she spent hundreds of thousands of dollars making sure that no torrent sites had a copy of the movie. And because of that, nobody went to the cinema. Like, it literally, almost nobody went to the cinema to watch it, just based on principle. Yeah. So not only did it cost her hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep this movie um, out of torrents because she thought torrents were going to hurt the movie, people didn't go and see it, so it didn't make any money. And the only place it's ever been played is on TV at 2 o'clock in the morning and nobody watches it because nobody's heard of this movie because nobody saw it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like sometimes when you actively chase a solution to a problem, you create a problem that, yeah. you know... Yeah, a lot of people get the torrent and they're like, hey, this was really good on my computer. I want to see this on the big screen and then go out with all their mates. That's right, but because she didn't allow anybody to see it, and they didn't do any advanced screenings, they didn't do any um, pre-release DVDs for video shops to look at. So none of the video shops bought it yep. to have on the shelf because they don't know what they're buying. They're not going to invest, you know, a few thousand dollars in a movie that nobody's heard of. Yeah, you know, nobody went and saw it because they didn't even. They had a couple of short trailers up on YouTube, and that was it. And I'm like, well, that's not even nothing. You know, let me search for it on my favorite trailer site. Oh, it's not there. Oh well, you know, I'll watch something else. You know, so something it, we have heard uh, of. They kind of, you know, it, it's one of those things that had never happened till it happened. Yeah, you know, and nobody's His foot bang. Yeah, I mean, and okay, yes, I'm not necessarily hundred. I'm not saying that torrenting a movie is the, the best option, but what I'm saying is, as much as they whinge, bitch, and complain about it, it serves a purpose. Yeah, you know, and even even there was <clears> a Twitter post today from Jeff the Yak who wrote a lot of Commodore sixty four games and other platforms and he's saying people are going to be sick of this segmented streaming services where you have to yeah. sign up for like six of them just to watch the stuff <clears> you want he says just go and encourage piracy yep oh it absolutely does i mean we watch we use um uh let me watch this oh no movies.do is what we use yep and it's got everything on it from all the different networks as far as I'm concerned, I'm paying my twenty dollars a year subscription fee. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm paying for my privilege to watch Maybe, shows yep. behind paywalls because yep. I'm paying for it. I don't care what they do with the money. That's not my problem. I'm paying them to watch it. <laughs> you know, um, and but because it's on one network and I can use it on as many devices as I want, yep. And I don't have to worry about going to a friend's place and leaving it logged in, so I can't watch it on my TV now because I've got one too many users. You know, yeah. <clears throat> And it's great. And then if, you know, and it has happened a couple of times where I've gone and bought a DVD or a Blu-ray of that particular show or series because I want the better quality or I want the behind the scenes or I want the special features or, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, or I've gone and paid the, I've paid the $7 or whatever it is to own the movie and download it to buy it to have. Yeah. So, like that. Well, you've uh, got it on some format that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, i got, I've, Speaking of which, I dug out my... Uh, I was cleaning up the computer room and I found my collection of VCDs the other day. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say HD DVDs. <laughs> no, VCDs, which pre predate those. Yeah. They're literally a 700 meg or 650 meg CD that's double-sided and the movie would stop halfway through and you'd have to eject the movie and uh, and flip the disc over and put it back in and continue playing because only half the movie was on each side of the disc. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they had to be really, really, really specific on what computers would play it because it was like back in the day where codecs were just becoming a thing yeah. <laughs> and they were so incompatible with everything. <laughs> what was it? There was there was one lot of codecs started with K something and it had just everything in it. It was the one to get all the time. can't remember what it was now. That's the... the um used to have There's to download it, yeah. And it had everything in it. That's and every the, time you build a new computer, you would put that, like that K-Lite codecs or something on was there. It, and it would have was everything. it K-Lite? Something like that. K-Lite. That sounds familiar. But yeah, exactly. And that's what it was. Because these... I mean, I remember the first system to play these on, I had to have... They still got it. K-Lite codec pack. Oh, there we go. It was K-Lite. <laughs> yeah. um, release. Stable release. Uh, latest one is November the 9th, 2021, one day ago. Wow. Still going. <laughs> um, the first system I had that would play these HD, these, uh, discs were, it was actually a hardware supported CD player. It was like an eight speed CD player and it plugged directly into a decoder card that then plugged into the video no the video card plugged in yeah you looped any video card into this decoder card you loop from your cd-rom into this decoder card and you output it out of the hardware decoder card to your monitor oh <laughs> it was the only way that you could get a fast enough hardware decode to play un uncompress these yeah. these video files in real time <laughs> Uh, it was expensive. It was so expensive too. It was like two thousand dollars or something. Telstra is categorically distanced its five G fixed wireless service from being an NBN replacement, positioning it instead as an alternative for certain users in the NBN fiber to the node and fixed wireless footprints. The timing of the commentary coincides mm. with calls by NBN Co. aimed at the government to reconsider whether the broadband tax should apply to cellular fixed wireless services as some are marketed as NBN equivalent alternatives. NBN Co. has spent much of the year positioning the commercial 5G as a competitive offering, something that could draw government and regulatory scrutiny if that position became broadly accepted. So far, the government and regulators have resisted, arguing that 5G fixed wireless servers cannot compete with the regular fixed services when it comes to quotas, even if the speeds are similar or better. Telstra's group executive for networks and IT, Nikos Katinikas, made it clear that Telstra did not want to position its 5G fixed wireless service as a replacement for NBN. Let me answer a question that I know you have. Is 5G fixed wireless a replacement for NBN? The answer to that is no. The average consumption of a fixed customer <clears throat> is now in the 300 gig range a month, mostly between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. The average wireless customer is in the 15 to 18 gig per month range, and it's spread almost across a 14-hour window with two peaks, 8 to 9 a.m. and 4 to 6 p.m. 
Putting 25 times more demand into the 5G network is just not feasible at this point, but it's definitely feasible to offer a fixed wireless access service to the subset of our customers that just don't get a good enough fixed broadband service. Catinicus offered a description of the NBN customers that might benefit from switching to 5G fixed wireless and therefore would be in Telstra's target market. Either they're stuck using copper or they're in a super long loop of coax cable ending up with 12, 25, 50 meg, he said. For those customers, there is an alternative and we have started offering that alternative. So but, he said, 5G is not good enough. No, and we've been saying this since they rolled it out two years ago. Like, nothing behind this technology is sustainable. The speeds aren't sustainable. The traffic loading is not sustainable. The quality. The quality, the distance it travels. Nothing about 5G is a sustainable infrastructure. You, you can't use it anywhere. Like, even if you do get 5G somewhere, as soon as you walk three foot to your left, you don't have it anymore. Like, it, it, I see that happen all the time on my phone. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. And I don't understand how... They've even begun to envision that it's a, a usable technology for internet. Like, it's not reliable. I mean, it has a very high burst speed, but if you look at its overall overall usable speed, it's it's generally lower than 4G because it's so heavily congested. Because every time somebody bursts when they first connect, you get that first initial burst speed, and it slows the rest of the network down trying to extend yours. <sighs> I don't know. Now they've admitted it. At least that's something. I wonder if that's just because they've run out of money and putting in more towers up or, yeah. you know, they finally figured out that like somewhere like Springfield is so built in that then you'll have a tall building and then a short building and then a wide building and then another low building and like you can literally walk down the street and watch your 5G and every time you go past a different house, your signals change because mm. the signal might get past that one and not past that one and not past yep. that one. Then you walk inside, and if the building's got steel structure, you're not going to get 5G anyway, so you're going to have to have an external aerial. Yep. And then that's going to get interference off everything else when the signal's bouncing. It's like, yeah. yeah it's if, if anything, in reality, what they should be investing in, and they won't because, well, they won't, is mesh networks. Yeah. You, you get an area like Springfield Lakes where it's, it is really combined. A mesh, net, a mesh network is perfect. Yeah. Put one on each corner of each major intersection or even put a put a recept a receiver because uh it's basically a grid and in every cross section's a roundabout just put a receiver and a transmitter in every roundabout and you'd cover the entire area in no time at all cost almost nothing to do and you would at the end of it it would be hardwired into the exchange yeah so yeah exactly i don't know i don't i don't I've never understood. Even 4G really is not super fantastic and, and robust. It's better than it used to be, but nine times Don't out rely on it. No, nine times out of ten here, especially as soon as you leave town, especially, uh, 3G. I mean, and 3G is relatively stable. and 3G is fast enough to stream HD video. Yeah. So I don't really know why you would need... You know, I've, I've seen on 3G, I've seen... Um, I don't know what the theoretical limits are, but I've seen in reality 50, 60 meg downloads on 3G. Mm -hmm. You don't... <laughs> you don't need more than that. More than that is nice, but you don't need more than that. Yeah. Yep. You know? You can easily chew through a terabyte of data at 50 meg a second. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, it's not hard. 
So, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. They'll, they'll, um, I guess, wait till the next latest and greatest thing comes out. Or they'll, I can't see them ripping. Like, the places that now don't have usable copper or don't have fiber, it's so late in the game, I can't see them ripping up streets to install copper uh, fiber anymore. Yeah. So, they're going to have to do something, but from, as I said, for my money, mesh networking would be the easiest way to do it, but I, who knows what the telcos have got in mind. Yeah. Especially given they've just offered, what was that latest plan they were offering the first month for nothing and you get, you know, 100 gig or something. Yeah. That was a, <laughs> that was a 5G plan from Telstra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> that's it for me. Yeah, and that's it from him. Alrighty, thank you for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. (laughs) We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Coffee. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au and go to aussietechradio.com, 24-7 playback of tech-related shows. See you next time. Bye. Do you like waffles? Yeah, we like waffles. Do you like pancakes? Yeah, we like pancakes. Do you like French toast? Yeah, we like French toast. Get did it, can't wait to get a That's a wrap.